Hey, welcome to the Tac Talks podcast. Tac Talks is a place where I sit down with some of the brightest and most influential people in the tech industry in the UK. We talk about their journey to where they are now, what they have going on behind the scenes, and we talk about some of the hot topics that I know people are going to want to know the answer to. When we started Tact, we were very passionate about giving people in the tech industry a voice, and with Tact Talks, we've done just that. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome to the Tact Talks podcast. Today, I'm joined by Vary Davidson, Head of Division Sheffield and Delivery Consultant over at Nimble Approach. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Jack. How are you? Good. Yes, very good, very good. Finally, we've had some true Mancunian weather uh, for the podcast. Usually, what a beautiful day. Usually it's really sunny and so misleading. <laughs> um, but no, thank you for coming on, obviously. And, um, and for anyone who doesn't know who you are, I don't know who wouldn't, uh, could you tell us a little bit about Barry? Sure. So yeah, I work at Nimble Approach, um, head of division for Sheffield. So I look after a portfolio of clients there. Um, sort of budgetary PL stuff, as well as account management and business development, which harks back to my recruitment days, which is nice. Um, and I'm also uh, an agile delivery lead, so have been that for the last four and a half, five years now. Amazing. And I've only just found out it's Vari, not Mari. Vari, yeah, I know, I know. What what a palaver. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so everyone knows who's watching this podcast is Vari, not Mari. Um, recent, uh, recent new role, head of division. Yes, yes, fairly new. How's it going? Really well, thank you. Yeah. Um, the role itself is quite, you know, it's like a quite a nice elevated role to have, you know, sort of a head of title. So, you know, not to bring the ego out in me, but it's really nice having that. Um, but it, as I say, it's a complete skill set that I've used before throughout my, you know, 12 year career. So it's lovely being able to utilize all of that now um, rather than just sort of one in, in delivery. Obviously, you can tell by your accent, you're not a Manchester native. I am not. Where did you grow up? Uh, well, weirdly, until I was 11, just south of Glasgow. Right. Um, when I was 11, I moved down here um, to round about Clitheroe area. Okay. So, yeah, grew up there, went to school in Blackburn for my sins. And um, my mother just wanted me to keep the Glaswegian accent, which has come in super handy. It's quite threatening when I want it to be. So people tend to listen. So that's nice. <laughs> but yeah, lived in Manchester for 12 years and only recently just moved to, to Sheffield to take up new role. Incredible. Wow. So you ha- yeah, you haven't lost the accent, which is amazing. It's it comes out a little bit more when I've had a gin as well. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. So uh, what, what were you like as a kid? Quiet, really quiet, really shy. Wouldn't Whoa. say boo to a goose. I know how times have changed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, why, did, why has that changed? Because um, When I went to university, actually, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was never one of the popular kids, like ever, you know, just sort of on the fringes and had an amazing friendship group at school and then college. Um, but when I got to uni, it was very quickly, right, if I don't do something to stand out, fit in, then I'm going to very quickly get left behind. Right, and I'm okay. very much a people pleaser. So I got to the point where I was thinking, right, I'm just going to have to just, you know, two feet in, go for it. And yeah, this is how I'm here now. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I imagine you were school, like going over to a, a group of Clitheroe people and being like, hey, what, what are you doing? That, that's yeah, my terrible. Yeah, that was awful. Scottish yeah. accent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tried, I tried. I to do that again in a minute. Um, yeah, it was, I, I had to slow down my accent quite a lot. <laughs> I had to slow down talking yeah. and really, yeah, engage people. Shockingly, you know, it was really difficult to understand some Glaswegians. It was, you know, terrible. So, um, yeah, it was um, a bit of a, a bit of a change, a bit of a baptism of fire, just going straight into a school in Blackburn, but no, all, all good. 
I think that's even with your career, you've had a, a strange kind of route to where you are now. So, so what was your first job? It wasn't tech, right? No, when I came out of uni, I did a history degree. So, you know, what do you do with that anyway? I think back, I mean, that was what, 14, oh my God, 14 years ago, I started. Um, but that was very much the time of you need to go to uni and come out with a 2-1 because if you don't, you won't get an entry level or a good job. And that was very much the attitude. So I did what I was good at, which was history, um, came out and went into recruitment because um, every kid wants to grow up and go into recruitment, obviously. So um, worked in recruitment for five, about five years um, in varying sectors, varying guises. And then um, decided that I just, I, I'd done it, I'd been there, I wasn't learning anymore, um, and my heart wasn't in it. So went to work with my dad, actually, at a construction company um, in sales, so was sales manager there. Sadly, the company folded, and then went into, went into work with a, a tech company, but in a sales position, and got to the point where I'd been promoted there within about six months, I think, so about six, like a sales manager type of role. Um, and there was they were struggling on the people side of things, so struggling with recruitment. They were, you know, really aggressively growing, really fast-paced. The strategy changed, you know, almost monthly there because we had to engage um, with such a, a new audience. Um, and so the because of my recruitment background, they asked me to be head of people, which was, again, quite a, right, okay, I've been in sales, I've done the recruitment side of things, internal, how do I do that? So, yeah, fine, took on the challenge, was head of people there. And after I'd grown the team and put in, um, you know, I, I guess gathered together the HR side of things and the recruitment side of things and left really capable people in charge, I was a bit bored, which might sound awful to say, but um, I very much thrive on fast-paced fast work. So went to the CEO and said, I'm a little bit bored. I don't want to sit and manage people's KPIs. And he effectively went, yeah, you're pretty much a cost to the business at this point. So there's a project management job in development. Go and do that. So um, so that's effectively how I started working in delivery was through saying, yeah, I'm bored. What do I do next? Pretty amazing that they gave you the opportunity to go into project management, I guess. Yeah, but... the CEO didn't necessarily understand development. Like, you know, no offense. A lot of, a lot of people who have grew up in business and sales and business development don't necessarily know how de development teams work. I certainly didn't. Yeah. It, that again, baptism of fire, brand new, brand new area. So I think it was just a case of, oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dive in, two, two feet in yeah, again. Exactly, exactly, yeah. What do you think you took from coming from a non-technical background to going into delivery and tech? I think um, the commerciality of what we were wanting to do was super important. So developers, rightly so, always want to build the best thing, innovative, cutting edge, the best thing that they can. Whereas from a commercial point of view, a lot of times companies will just want to ship stuff out to, to get things to an audience. And it's trying to marry those two things together. So having been in sales and used the products that we were working on, we had... Um, uh, sort of a an internal network um, that we had like a platform. We had a CRM system and we had um, sort of like you know the the website and CMS side of things. Having used those in the sales capacity that I'd been in for nearly a year, it was really easy for me to almost act as a bit of a product owner and say, right, okay, this is how we want to use the CRM. This is what the salespeople do. This is how they behave, and almost working out that working with the de the development team there. Um, but yeah marrying up the the commercial side 
to then try and explain that into into how the technicality behind it works was was super useful. Apart from that, I don't think it went down well that I was a salesperson coming into a development team, but <laughs> but we were good. We did really really well at that company. Was there any massive? Uh, I don't want to say the word, but mistakes that you made. That, Huge. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. Anything that stands out. Uh, assuming that people understood what I meant and what I what I was wanting to explain and describe. Um, I think as well, having been a people manager before and previously, it was easy for me to, to assume that other people understood what that meant when they were reporting into me. Um, so I think, yeah, a large part of the mistakes that I made in that role particularly were just assumption-based. And at that point when people, you know, people are then like, well, why are we doing this? What are we doing that for? Yeah, it's it was difficult. You must have learned quite quickly because your job is to communicate technical issues to non-technical people, right? Yeah, as best as I can. Yeah, yeah. as best you can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you come to grips with tech so quickly? I, I don't think I did. Oh, right, okay. Um, I, think, I think I did well, again, because I'd been using as a salesperson the technology that we were working on. It was easy for me to try and um, pick up, I guess, what the developers were talking about. But I would have to go back and try and understand technical terms all of the time, right? Um, all of the time, and it was, um, yeah. I think that the, the CTO at that point was just like, "You're going to have to go away and like read a technical dictionary type thing. Like, you really need to like pick this up." Um, but really, it's it's like anything. It's like any job. Once you're doing it and you're in it and you're doing it daily, you yeah. pick it up immediately. Um, I think if you start getting a bit of a you know phobia and a fear about picking different things up, then you don't necessarily do it. So you just jump in. Like a lot of good things, you you know, fake it till you make it. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Because obviously now you're a nimble approach. Uh, software consultancy. Yes. Um, so how did you get there? And I guess, could you run us through Nimble Approach's journey? Because they've gone through some amazing changes. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. So I started Nimble um, in May 2021. Um, prior to that, I had been at a large insurance software house. Um, so my thinking at the time was I've done the internal stuff. I've been at large companies. I've been at small companies. I want to do something that's really for me. Um, And consult, like I've said before, I get bored if I'm on one thing for too long. So consultancy makes sense, right? Because I'm changing clients, I'm changing projects, I'm changing the people that I work with. And so actually, it's almost like changing jobs every year, which is what millennials love, right? So um, (laughs) so it made sense to do that. Um, And I was due to go to another consultancy but nimble um sort of swooped in with an offer about a week before which feel all, always felt terrible about but um one of those things right you're a recruiter you know what happened yeah yeah so um and the reason i was so blown away by nimble was the passion and the dedication that came from chris and dan the owner i have never seen two people more dedicated to their business but their people as well so from the first conversation I remember having with Chris, I knew that he would listen to me, that he would respect my opinion, and that's a really big thing to me. Coming into tech from recruitment and then construction to heavily male-dominated industries into another, I've been there, done it, when it comes to people putting me down, talking down to me, assuming that I don't know anything, and ultimately not respecting what I'm saying. And it meant a lot that somebody who'd set up this business that was already growing rapidly was just like, that's a really good idea. Yeah, let's just do that. There was the, I guess, multitude of different clients and sectors that Nimble worked with as well. So EdTech, um, betting and gaming, manufacturing, 
healthcare, you know, expands private, public charity. My first um, uh, sort of role on there was with a charity as well, which I've never done before, which was crazy. Um, so just the, the the variety, the again, the respect that I was given, even just an interview stage, and the charisma, I think, of the of, of not just, you know, the owners, but of the company itself was incredible. That's testament to how... Uh, how much they must have kind of got in your head, I guess, with, with with the offer if you had something else on the table. And then they come along and like, God, I can't turn this down. And- absolutely, absolutely. It was, you know, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And I felt, you know, coming from a recruitment background, you know yourself, you're just like, this is so wrong and people are going to hate me and I'm going to burn bridges. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have to do what you know is right for yourself and for your career. I've seen far too many people go into careers that they've done because they felt obliged to. Yes. You know, you, you can't do that. Um, no one's going to... I was told very early on in my career that no one's going to give you a career. Mm-hmm. So you have to go out and forge it and make it yourself. And that's absolutely what my, my mantra is. So Absolutely. you got to be selfish, especially about your career. Absolutely. It's so important. Absolutely. Speaking from a recruiting background, Nimble just all of a sudden came out of nowhere. And we were like, whoa, 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 whoa what's happening? Who the hell are these guys? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was speaking to people like, oh, I've got this off Nimble, Nimble Approach. Like, who's Nimble Approach? Whoa. And then all of a sudden, like 12, 18 months later, we'll, and a nimble approach or a massive, massive name. So ha- what, what happened? I think I was around employee 25, like permanent. So the way that Nimble was set up was um, pr- pr- pretty cool, really. Um, effectively, they wanted to just provide pop-up squads to, to a full squad to go into a client, solve a problem, deliver at pace and, you know, get out and leave them to it again. And that's what they did to begin with. Um, so that used quite a lot of contractors. So you can imagine, mm, you know, margins are okay, but they could be better if we had permanent staff. Um, so um, I think it was always the vision um, of Chris to, to grow the company um, to, I guess, the point where it is now and, and beyond. So the it's, it's not difficult to sell Nimble. The, the people are, our, I'd, I'd say, probably our USP. We are a company full of great people. I've never felt like so at home in a company. It's it's incredible. So um yeah, we we started recruiting quite aggressively um and not aggressively in the sense of right just you know bums on seats, not in that sense, more of we know the right people to get in. We employ people who have been in the industry for, you know, a, a new amount of time, an older amount of time. Do you know what I mean? Like really, really quite a mix, but they've all got referral schemes. The best recruitment that we have is through our referrals. Um, but it's getting to a point where, you know, staffing's our biggest problem. Um, we we want the best people. We look at the best people and we just can't get enough people in at the same time. So um, the contracts we're winning are fantastic. We're expanding our portfolios every day. We're about to, I think, this year open a new office. Ooh, um, okay. Hot off the press. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I can't I can't wax lyrical enough, really. But you're right. We did just sort of come out of nowhere, um, and yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, I know I was going to ask about the name, but you kind of you kind of described it there and explained it because you were going into businesses really quick, pop up squads in and out. You know, which I guess is the opposite of what a lot of consultancies do, where they're trying to be there for as long longer period of time, get as much money out of them yes. as possible, I assume. But a completely different approach. We believe fully that to offer an agile service, we have to be agile ourselves. And whether that means, you know, okay, we've got a really short, like, six-week appointment, but that might lead to something it might not. If we can help somebody deliver a solution and we know that it's going to be the right thing for us and for them, 
and it's the ethical and moral and right thing to do. We're going to go and do it. Um, if it's going to take, you know, five squads of cross-functional you know, cross teams to go and deliver something, we're going, to, we're going to do it. But we run everything internally really agile as well. I think people don't necessarily like the term agile anymore. It sort of is a really evangelistic way of looking at things. But it, agile to me just means doing the right thing that is going to get a result as quickly as possible. Don't really mind or you know it might be flippant to say I don't care but I don't mind how we get there we ought, we need to and we ought to deliver the right the right solution so yeah Nimble was really born of let's go let's do the right thing let's do it quickly let's make a good impression and let's build relationships for the future incredible and if you again you touched on it there new office oh my god I'm not gonna ask where it is because I know you're gonna be able to tell me but uh, any other plans for Nimble or anything we need to be keeping our eye out for just keep checking our careers page Jack um <laughs> We, um, it, it's a really exciting time. We have um, appointed a couple of new board members. We have uh, Chris Hunt, whose background in tech and consultancy is insane. Uh, Lottie Robinson has joined the board as director of people. Um, her background's in product and sort of delivery and analysis. And it's just phenomenal to have a woman there to, to be able to look up to and respect. Um, Ian Ness, who's our, it was our financial controller, is now um, finance director. We're creating a lot of internal opportunities for people. Like I say, I run one portfolio at the moment. We've got three. So based out of Manchester, Leeds and Sheffield, uh, to have another portfolio purely due to the work that is coming on board is a testament to, to the company itself and the people that are there. Um, I physically can't take on any more <laughs> any more clients in my portfolio right now there's just not enough days in the week so yeah I can't um I can't tell you know people enough how how big we're growing how great a company it is and come and come and see what it's about love that so um consultancies everyone know are booming at the minute why why why, why do you think the consultancies are doing so well right now there's probably a lot of answers to that I think I think the thing that I see most is is speed right um so People want things delivered now. They know that they're going to lose their niche in the market if they don't release. They know that they've got a problem to solve um, and they also can't recruit quick enough. I think we're in a really lucky position in tech to be able to say that it's a candidate-driven market. Um, there's so many industries out there that can't find people and businesses are failing, whereas actually we're creating these spaces that amazing people can, can come together. And yes, there are you know, perhaps a shortage of candidates, but it's, you know, not really. It's just, you know, we, we need to get more in. So I think that all combined means that consultancies are there to be, to go in and just, as I've said before, do a job. Um, I think, as I've said also, quite a lot of companies don't necessarily understand development, how teams run, what's important, what's not. And I think sometimes that can get lost at a board, maybe even a commercial level. Um, people are expecting something, they maybe not get that. If we're going in to solve a problem with like a current system, we'll be able to see the ins and outs of what's going on. Everyone's heard about, you know, like Salesforce integrations going wrong, for example, right? So um, we're the ones that will be able to go in and see, right, this is where the problem is. Whereas all your customers want is something at the end that works. Yeah. So I think there's probably um, been cases in larger companies that do employ consultancies now saying, right, okay, well, we're just going to give it to the experts because we don't know what we're doing. Mm. I, I guess as well, just uh, just came to me then, is from a, if you're a consultancy, you're not 
too close to the to the issue, not too close to the product where you can't think clearly about it. You're external, you can go in there without any emotion. Exactly. Completely objective mind. Yeah. You're not really passionate about it. You know, you're you know, it's it's not maybe not your bread and butter, you know, in terms of a product, but you know how you can make it better, you know how you can fix it. Yeah. I think I mean I, I certainly in the first uh, tech company that I worked in, I was so tied to the product because I've been using it and I knew it inside out and I knew, you know, how people wanted to use it and be able to translate that for the dev team was ace, but not everybody gets that. Yeah. Um and that's why product um, sort of user research and delivery, I guess, all combined is just so important to, to, to companies. And hopefully more people are seeing the, the use that consultancies are and how well, as you say, we're all doing at it. Yeah. I, can't, I, I don't even know how many competitors, you know, are in the Manchester market anymore. That's endless amounts, which, which is great. It creates healthy competition. One of the great things I love about that, though, is Manchester is such an inclusive network of people. Everybody shares their problems and we all sort of come to a solution together it's really interesting yeah it's, it's like that hive that hive mindset which it really is the bee and all that sort of stuff uh, uh, touching on that then because again not a uh not manchester native but what's your i guess what's your view on the manchester tech community because you're quite heavily in ingrained in it, i would say again it's like having an extended like friend set an extended family um I'd never really been, the only networking events that I've been to before really were recruitment ones, ones that the companies that I'd worked with had run, which were brilliant. You'd have, you know, your round tables, your bigger ones, conferences that you'd attend. But I'd never really got so involved um, in understanding other people and understanding the problems that they had um, or, you know, the amazing success stories that we've had in Manchester. And I think it's so easy to celebrate Manchester's success mm -hmm from a tech perspective, the amount of companies that are opening up, the, the the growth that we're seeing, the people that are moving to our city from all over the world to be involved in this community is, is insane. And to me, it's more a case of why would I not want to be a part of that? Why would I not want to put myself out there? Why would I not want to, you know, get nimble involved in these sorts of amazing events, hosting them, sponsoring them, you know, speak at whatever it might be. Um, not only to expose our name from a really shrewd marketing perspective, but to, to show people who we are, what we've done to understand everybody else. It's, it's just phenomenal I've, I've honestly never seen a community like it yeah it's, it's mega and I, that was the first time i met you was when you were doing a talk at texan city the money supermarket office that's right and you were brilliant thank you you were brilliant <laughs> um and then you had to have the podcast obviously thank you well so obviously in a consultancy you work with loads of different businesses and you knew this question was coming up um if if, if you were given a million quid right and you were said i was saying Vary, set up a business. What would you What would you go to? Where do you think there's a gap in the market? Do you think there's anything that... I was thinking about this mm. and <laughs> I've sort of got two things, right? From an operational perspective, now being head of division and understanding the troubles that we have, I would love to build a you know, back-end tool that integrates every operational system that is out there, finance, HR, people, feedback. Just build one tool and everything can integrate with it and you can pull data out of it. There will be things out there on the market, but I can't find one. So if anybody knows, please tell me. Um, secondly, I've I've never bought a house. Okay. All I hear from my friends is that buying houses is an absolute nightmare. Like the process is so archaic. Mm. Trying to get here back from lawyers is impossible. I think it would be awesome to set up a new tech process mm -hmm of getting a mortgage and buying a house okay. and having people being able to feed into that throughout the throughout the process. I think 
one place where you can keep everything, sign everything. I tried to apply for a mortgage one time yeah. right now for whatever reason or another, I didn't actually buy the, the place in the end. I had to, you know, it's 2022. I had to print things off and sign them. Like DocuSign isn't, you know, a really basic thing that was, impl you know, implemented like 10 plus years ago. Yeah. So yeah, I think that would be where I would go with it. I feel like there is a massive gap in the market there. I love that because you're saying about living, you see you live in Sheffield now, right? I do. I was in Sheffield yesterday. It is the hilliest place. Oh my God. Coming out of the train station, it was like, it was vertical. It's outrageous. When I, I've never run in my life and my flatmate, um, best, flatmate, very, very good sort of best mate of mine, we didn't have a balcony or anything, right, during the first lockdown. Wow. So it was an old converted mill building in Manchester. And she was like, let's go out and run. And I'm just like, you're having a laugh, right? Um, but then quickly realized that I'd have to do something to expend the energy. So she got me into running then. And running around Manchester is a bloody dream. It's so wow. flat, right? When I got to Sheffield, I was like, what? <laughs> I am really not as fit as I thought here. <laughs> Something's going to have to change. So yeah, it's insane. It apparently was not like an old Roman city. And the reason it was it was so hilly is because it was I didn't know that. from the Romans. There That's embarrassing with a history degree. I got told that yesterday. I got told that yesterday. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's great, great, great place to go. It's phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, loads of pubs as well. Oh my God, you're never without one. It's fantastic. And I have to say, Yorkshire hospitality has been excellent. And weirdly, my hay fever stopped now that I've gone across the border. I'm sure Yorkshire folk will love that one. But yeah, it's just crazily like... That's oh not FDA God. approved, the by the way. Is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't, can't move to Yorkshire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and all the antihistamine and Puritan are like suing us because of this. Damn it. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Uh, look, last question. I promise to let you go because I know we've been talking for a while now. But if today was your last, last day on earth mm -hmm. at all, and it's part from spending time with family, of course, and of course being on this podcast because it's so much fun, what would you, what would you do? What would you be doing? Taking in, I think, the beautiful nature that we've been allowed. I think I'm very, I'm one of these people, I try and practice gratitude quite often. Um, you can get really caught up in quick lifestyles. And the the house that we now live in, in, in Sheffield, is right on the edge of the peaks. And every morning going out there and just having a coffee and, you know, it's in a valley, seeing how peaceful and calm it is. If I knew it was my last day, that's what I would want to do. Sit there, take it all in practice some gratitude for what I've been given in life um, and I guess wish everyone well for the next. Amazing. Cool. Great answer. Um, well, look, thank you for coming on. It's been amazing talking to you. Thank you. I'm so excited to see what our nimble approach in the next 12 months. Come join us. <laughs> um, and excited to see where the new office is and uh, yeah, all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs>